everyone, and welcome to the Riffing on Realness podcast. I'm Carla Royal, a mindset and performance coach working with high-achieving entrepreneurs, and with me is Juliette Fay, a poet and three principles facilitator. If you are wrestling with how to be real in the midst of rampant superficiality, and it's causing you to overthink, be too guarded, and not live your potential, then you're in the right place. In this podcast, Juliet and I explore how dropping the masks, being real and vulnerable, can help us connect, adapt, and find a richness of experience amid the chaos. We're glad you're here, and we invite you to tune in, slow down, and listen for your own wisdom. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, Carla. So Juliet and I, as always, hopped on a few minutes before we hit record, and and we've decided today that we would like to talk about interruptions. <laughs> and I, I know that we've touched on this in other episodes, but it seems like a very rich subject. Uh, the interruption I'm going through this morning is that my dog is very, very sick and he's my little guy. And I just, my little heart just breaks for him. And he's, he's older and he's not doing well. I took him to the vet yesterday and they treated him and he's much, much worse today. And so I, I feel a little off kilter, but not only off kilter, I'm irritable, Juliet, <laughs> which makes me snappy. Rea- I become a little more reactive. And then I can kind of be mean on my, at myself for, you know, what's wrong? Why, why are you being reactive? And, and people I'm reacted to can be uh, reactive to my reactiveness. <laughs> And what I think is needed is a, a lot of understanding. And because I'm always interested and curious, and, and it's even become humorous to me now that, that, we, that we go through our days believing that interruptions won't happen. And then when they do happen, we're shocked and angry and, and triggery. When, when have interruptions not happened in our lives? <laughs> I mean, it is just like, I, 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 maybe we should start putting time in each day for interruptions. <laughs> maybe that would be actually more beneficial than believing that interruptions shouldn't happen or that they don't happen. And, mm-hmm. and also just having more compassion for people. And the thing about it is, you know, my listeners today, our listeners today, if I didn't mention Pedro, they might find me a little more, a little shorter or a little not as fun or something. They may notice that and they may. And, and if they don't know why, then they may create some story about that. Like, oh, boy, Carla's in a bad mood today. Or, oh, my gosh, I wonder what's wrong with Carla today. This is unlike her. Or, um, boy, she's not a very good host. You know, because this is what we do, right? When somebody cuts us off in traffic, we make up some story about what um, what jerks they are. Or if somebody's short with you, you make up a story that they're a horrible person or things like that. And we 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 can be very narrow in our perspective taking abilities <laughs> and and sort of moving out of that place of always expecting people to be, I don't know, Juliet, I'm babbling, I can see. So you jump in and tell me <laughs> what you're thinking. No, it's lovely. And I was saying before the uh, 
before we came on air. Pedro feels like he's part of our podcast, so I'm very <laughs> sorry to hear he's suffering. And, Thank you. Um, and I'm glad you shared it with me and now with the listeners, as you say, has it's it's what we like to do and what you're particularly good at doing I think Carla is coming on to these recordings as you are you know and we talk about getting real and feeling all the feels feeling distressed or irritable or anything else it's it's part of life and there's not going to be a single listener out there who's going to go I don't understand what feeling irritated and distressed is like <laughs> right We've all been there. And um, yeah, so I want to thank you for, for coming on. And I think it's a wonderful, wonderful topic. When you when you said maybe we should just plan for interruptions, I was like, I think you're onto something there, Colin. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's it's sort of like um, you know, we we put in buffer time when we're traveling to important meetings, for example. You know, it's it's kind of the same thing. Why not put a little buffer time for interruptions? Because they always happen. Mm -hmm. It's a rare day that there's not some kind of interruption. So why not, instead of being shocked that they happen, why not, <laughs> <laughs> you know, why not, uh, why not work with them a little bit so that they're not as disruptive? Yeah, I mean, it's true when you said about a buffer for important meetings, you can really see the difference where if you're driving somewhere for a meeting and without the buffer, then the teeniest holdup is a really, really big deal because, it, you know, it's interrupting your flow of your journey to, to get there on time. And, you know, many of us will try to add in an extra however long, depending on the length of the journey, we instinctively know that we can't control the traffic flow. We don't know what's going to be on the road. And we know how stressful and, and wound up we can be if, if, you know, those many people absolutely hate running late or being late. So it, it just kind of, it's logical to put in that, that buffer time. And I'm smiling to myself because I think I've mentioned before on the podcast when I was young, I used to be chronically late. Um, and then later in, in life, I was really good about work and client things, but I was really late with kind of personal social things. And that stress of running late and trying to, you know, make up time and kind of dashing around all the time, like, it was completely like a sort of whirling dervish. I think I was quite late on in my life when I realized, you know what, <laughs> I'm not enjoying this. Mm -hmm. I, maybe, maybe I could try being on time. And I think the penny drops at different times for us, doesn't it, around different areas. And I love the idea, why not treat your diary or your schedule the same way your, your own work tasks or any tasks you've got in your day? Why not put lots of time in around them? And, and maybe that speaks to something a bit, you know, deeper and more prevalent, which is that there's this idea that a good day is when we've packed in lots of activities and lots of tasks. And I sometimes wonder whether that overrides, you know, it's quantity over quality. We're rewarded for sort of ticking boxes, as it were, on our to-do list, mm -hmm. regardless of... <laughs> 
what they are, <laughs> just seeing a nice big list with a nice you know line of ticks, we sort of feel like, oh, I've done a good day's work. I can relax now. And what's all that about? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a client who uh, who the slightest interruptions in his days throws him completely off kilter. And as we started to examine that together, the problem wasn't so much the interruptions. The problem was that he was trying to do too much in a day. There was no possibility that an interruption wouldn't, wouldn't uh, knock him off of everything. And so he started to get that and, and started to find ways to, to, uh, to deal with his schedule differently. He started, uh, we talked about blocking time. He started making some changes um, that would help him. And he started trying to cut the fat so that he had less uh, that he had to do so that when there were the inevitable inter- interruptions, uh, he could he could he could navigate them much more easily. Talking about being late, Juliet, I have always been an on time person and it really irritates me when people are late. <laughs> and I was finding that in my practice that if people showed up late to calls because I don't. I really just don't show up late to calls. I am there at, at the exact time, unless there's some big interruption I can't control. But generally speaking, 99.9% of the time I'm on time. And I've had clients through the years who, who just wouldn't show. And I would sit on the Zoom call or wherever for 15 minutes and it irritated me to death. So I made a little tweak just a little tiny tweak, which is when I send my new clients the coaching agreement, I tell them I will stay on the call for five minutes. If I haven't heard from you, I'm hanging up. And that was such an easy thing for me to do. And then when when I talk to them, I tell them, look, I'm going to stay on this call for five minutes. If you're not here, I'm hanging up. You, if you text me, if you email me and tell me you're going to be 15 minutes late, then I'll show up at 15 minutes, you know, but I'm not going to do this. And it was such a simple, easy way for me to take care of myself and, and stop being resentful when my clients didn't show up on time. It was just a really easy, clear agreement that I made with my clients that, that gave me uh, um, more peace in my day. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. It touches on last, uh, the other episode we did the other week on boundaries. Yes. And um, I think and we talked about agreements. And yeah, it's a really nice thing to catch, isn't it? Because as you said about, you know, your client, there can be, we can say some of us are naturally punctual and some of us are not. But then there's also the stories that we each have about being on time or not being on time. And it would be fascinating wouldn't it, to compare the stories of people who are habitually late, <laughs> what their experience yeah. and what their story, not why they're late, but and then the person who's waiting. And you can already imagine that you've got complete separate realities going on there. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes, I know I, that from having been a late person. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I have uh, I, I had a friend uh, where I used to live in Georgia who was chronically late. And I'm not talking five or ten minutes late. I'm talking an hour or two late. And you know, we were good friends. We liked to do things together. But oh my gosh, it just went all over me. And yes, I made up stories. She doesn't respect me. She doesn't value my time. And that really wasn't it. It was it was an issue she had that for whatever reason, she couldn't, um, she just couldn't figure out how to deal with it. So finally, what I just, what I did was I'm like, look, we have these plans. I'm leaving here at 6 p.m. 
with or without you. And if, because I'm going to this place, we decided we were going. And if you're not ready, I'm leaving and you can drive yourself or not show up, whatever it is, but I'm not going to sit here and wait. And that, and, and she was like, okay, I, that's great. Yes. And so sometimes she made it and sometimes she didn't. And I just went along and didn't have to hang on to this stressful story of resentment that I had. I, you know, we came to an agreement and, and we acted on the agreement because there was a moment before that agreement that I would feel guilty about leaving because we hadn't had the discussion. We didn't have the agreement. And so that just that, that discussion just cleared it all up. That agreement that we came to cleared it all up and it really did work. So I think that those stressful stories um, that we all create is just what the human mind does. Uh, um, we have to investigate those. We have to be aware of those stories. I have, I'll tell one more quick story and I'll turn it back over to you, but I have a client, uh, just such a wonderful man who's, uh, takes care of customers in his business and they, for, for a particular product that they sell, he, he, there's a no refund policy and inevitably he gets refund requests. And, um, in, whenever he can see that the client's not working with the product, that they're not showing up and doing the work to make it work for them, he gets so angry and resentful and judgmental. Like they should be doing this and what's wrong with them. This could change their lives and these kind of things. And he's so great because he totally catches himself in it. Uh, and so we've, we've looked at the idea that you and I were talking about earlier, Juliet, that we don't know what's going on with that customer. We don't know if right after they bought that product that they got the news that their mother had cancer or their child died or that their dog is sick or that they lost their job and spending this extra money is just terrifying them. We don't know. Now, and that when we can imagine that, it can give us a lot of compassion and understanding. And at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean giving back the refund. It doesn't, just because you have some understanding and compassion doesn't necessarily equate to a refund. It might, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean you don't still get to have your boundaries, both professionally and personally. Yeah, I, it's a really interesting area, isn't it? Because uh, it's something, it reminds me in the Buy Nothing group that I'm the admin for locally, you begin to see, you know, people people gift things and then when when the recipient is selected, they have to organise pickup. And it's really clear that, you know, we have all different communication styles in the group around pickups you can see some people are super organized and you know they say it'll be on the porch at such and such time and you can see that there are some people who just like you're saying really perhaps like your friend and like I, I used to be they struggle to make and keep arrangements around picking up mm -hmm. and it's been really interesting as an admin to sort of um really encourage the members to first understand that people have different communication styles. So some people are very precise. Some people write a lot. Some people write with abbreviations. Some people are very vague. And it would be very easy to get irritated if you're in one camp and somebody's in a different camp. And then around the pickups, 
it's it's been interesting to try to draw attention to the fact that people may not be very good at keeping arrangements for a number of reasons, like some that you've mentioned and events happen that day. But for there are a lot of people also, for, there could be other reasons, you know, people who are neurodiverse, people who are chronically, you know, in, they're in pain or they're dealing with crises in, in, the, in the home, in the family, uh, or their life is just chaotic and unpredictable. And so then you're left with, so where does that leave everybody? If we can have compassion, and I love the point you were, you were saying there, it's sort of, um, I think, you know, our role as the admins there is to, to just sort of gently nudge people. You know, if you know it's difficult for you to collect things, you can ask for a pick, you can ask for something to be dropped off. <coughs> Excuse me. That People may not be able or willing to do that, but it's always trying to avoid the potential for misunderstanding and bad feeling. And, it, and you can see how, if everybody's aiming towards goodwill and harmony, then there can be give and take on both sides. But when we're, and this comes up a lot, doesn't it? When we're stuck in our version is the right version, our way is the right way, then there's not much scope for manoeuvre. There's not much possibility of sort of meeting in the middle somewhere. And um, I think it's a really interesting topic because like you say if we if we're in that kind of self-righteous mode you touched on it earlier you the stories we make up (laughs) tend to have the other person coming out really badly (laughs) like you know they're feckless they're lazy they're inconsiderate they don't respect me you mentioned lots of these things and while that that might be true in certain cases it's much more likely that there's a number of other explanations that aren't anything to do with us Mm -hmm. And I love when when we start to when people start to consider that that could be the case, it changes their um, the way they interact and also their expectations. And perhaps I don't know if we've done an episode on expectations, but it's isn't it always expectations are what create so much friction. That's right. I'm sure I've quoted it before. Anne Lamott. um, expectations are resentments under construction <laughs> I love that yes yes yeah, yeah I have a, a an audio uh, from Steve Chandler that I share with most of my clients about the you know the difference between expectations and agreements and how so much of our culture is is set up around expectations and and that they are never satisfying they just don't they just don't work and that what's needed are, are agreements, and and agreements are so much easier too to to uh, to to, uh, to to redo when they don't break down because they're clear. So if they're not working, then it needs to. There's a tweak that needs to happen, and it's it's just so much better communication. We're not great at communicating, and part of too what you were talking about that I know we've discussed in other episodes is the idea between niceness and kindness. You know, nice is telling you what you want to hear and making you feel good all of the time. Kindness um, can be some of that, but it's also telling the truth. It's also being clear. It's also um, having uh, your boundaries that you need in place, even at the same time as being compassionate. They're not mutually exclusive. Having a boundary is not mutual, as we talked about last week, it's not mutually exclusive to, to being kind and compassionate. So it's very interesting. I had to laugh at myself, Juliet, because the other day, um, a friend and I um, 
got had a little bit of a tift because I was irritable. I was worried about Pedro. And I and I I was I was just reactive in the moment about something. And my friend got really um her feelings hurt. Like, you know, I was just trying to help you being mean to me. And then where <laughs> Then I had to start laughing because in not I didn't laugh right away, but I was like, she's so sensitive. Good God. I, I'm worried. I'm upset. I'm having a hard day. Can't she understand that? She's so sensitive. Well, then I reckon I was seeing, oh my God, Carla, you're so sensitive. You're I'm the one that's so, you know, so, so sensitive that I have this big reaction to her reaction. You know, and this is this is what we do. And then it was just like, okay, I just need to take a big deep breath relax for a minute, ground for a minute, and just have a whole lot of compassion for where she's coming from and a whole lot of passion, compassion for where I'm coming from because it, it was a hard day. And I don't have to be perfect. And neither does she or neither do you and neither do our listeners. That's not required and it's not even possible. So those interruptions of imperfection happen all day long <laughs> they do don't they and that I'm just wondering that in that when you said you can get irritable when you're you know when some I mean it's more than an interruption you're dealing with but I I, I really can relate to that and I I got curious about this I saw something around this myself the other day that when I'm very tired my mind gets very very busy mm-hmm and, it, you know, it sounds such an obvious thing to notice, but I, I noticed it perhaps more than I had before. And I thought this is really interesting. You know, it's almost as if you I love, you know, you talk about the primitive brain. It's almost as if being tired is a threat <laughs> to my safety. And so everything sort of ramps up, which, of course, if you're very tired, isn't really very helpful because probably the most helpful thing would be to try and rest or take a break. Or if you can't take a break now, you know, plan to take a break later or rest or go to bed early or whatever. And, and what my system seems to do is the opposite. It goes looking for trouble, mm-hmm. you know, in every department of my life. Uh, and it's that whole, the goggles of, you know, what's wrong. And I really saw this the other day and I thought that's really interesting. You know, it must be just a habitual thing that, oh, I'm tired. Something could go wrong. Better kind of, you know, ramp it all up. (laughs) And I wonder whether that irritation is a little bit the same thing and it feels connected to control as well. You know, things aren't going how I planned. You know, I've had interrupted sleep or whatever. More, you know, something could go wrong. I need to be more vigilant. And it's sort of illogical. And yet I could really see clearly in myself that's one of my responses. And I did have a moment where I was sort of like, do I have to do that? (laughs) And it was really lovely because it was a sort of, it felt really good. There was a moment of just of just noticing and sort of relaxing out of that kind of I mean it kept popping back up again but it there was a there was a moment where it sort of looked I I think this is optional Mm. and I can see it's not helpful yeah (laughs) so I'll let you know how that goes (laughs) that's interesting it makes me think of you know what you're talking about the primitive brain and being tired and then looking for all the danger out there all that's wrong 
it, it kind of makes sense to me just from an evolutionary standpoint that when we're tired, we're more, you know, let's, if, if, you know, where we evolved in the wild, if we're tired, it really could be dangerous if we're not as alert, if we're not, uh, don't have as much energy to run uh, or to react to danger. And so it makes sense to me that the brain would go there, you know, now connect into that when we're tired, we get more ramped up. It reminds me of when Pedro had his back surgery a year ago, you know, for months, he, a, a dog would come up to him, he would growl, he wouldn't snap at him, but he would growl when he didn't used to do that. And I think it's because he felt vulnerable and he just wanted to let them know, you know, I'm not 100% here, so back off a little bit. And I think that we kind of do the same thing, right? When we're, when we're, uh, when we are feeling vulnerable for whatever reason, because we're tired, because we're sick, uh, because we got laid off our job, whatever it is, then I do think we can become uh, more hypervigilant, more ramped up, um, m- m- more um, tuned toward the what's not going right. Uh, in an attempt, in a, in a in a sort of misguided attempt to to protect ourselves, so sort of understanding that and being really aware of that is is important to mm-hmm. give us what you're saying. This could be optional. Yes, if we can see what's going on and where we're going, then and we can wake up to that 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 primitive brain part is being is being activated. Then we can, I think, um, often maybe not always bring on that executive reasoning part of our brain and override that, that very powerful primitive part of our brain with, with some self-awareness and intentionality. And refrain from growling at people. (laughs) Well, is there something appropriate though for him to, to let the dogs know that no, you can't get too close right now. No, you can't jump on me. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent. Well, so I don't even know that the growling is inappropriate. <laughs> now, if he went the, se- the second step of, you know, attacking, yes, I would say that's quite inappropriate. But but I think about, like, if I'm having a hard day, like today, for me to, to tell the people I'm in relationship with around me, hey, I'm having a hard day, um, I might need a little more quiet. I might need a little more rest. I may not be as engaged. To, I think that's that's sort of like Pedro growling. I think that's really appropriate to let people know where you are because we live in a, a culture that we're supposed, especially I think about my guys who work in this digital entrepreneurship world, you know, who feel like they always have to be on. They mm. always have to be at 100%. It's not possible. It's toxic. And if they could come to work and even with their clients say, Man, I'm, I'm, you know, I didn't sleep all night last night. My energy's a little bit flat, but man, I'm here for you, and I, I can show up for you. But you may notice that my, you know, whatever, whatever. I think that's beautiful. That kind of sharing and and vulnerability and realness. Yeah, and it gives <laughs> others permission to do that too. I'm sorry. What did you say, Julia? I was going. I was being sort of facetious, but I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you that it's sort of when we when we can express what's up, maybe not all the story and the content, but just, you know, like you said, low energy, feeling under siege, feeling uh, a bit overwhelmed. Um, and I think culture is changing a little bit, certainly here in the UK. There's been a lot of stigma around, you know, anybody 
who's suffering in any way with any mental distress has always been the thing of hiding it, you know, sort of stiff upper lip and that kind of thing. And there's been a lot of campaigns over the last few years to make talking about, you know, how we're feeling or anxiety or any of these things more acceptable, especially in the workplace where this sort of tough it out, um, don't don't let anyone see has it's very counterproductive to my mind because ironically the minute that you actually express oh, I'm having a hard time today there's there's a kind of release isn't there especially if that falls on it's sort of it's not even sympathetic ears it's just I can remember once phoning someone at, um I didn't really know them and I was inquiring about a course and he asked how my day was going and unusually I sort of said oh it's just been really frustrating you know everything I've tried to do has just kind of not worked and I'm, I feel like I'm going around in circles and he just said he kind of laughed but you know warmly and said oh yeah we all get those kind of days and I immediately felt a sort of sense of the tightness just dropping you know yeah, yeah of course it's not just me we all get days like that and um so I, I agree with you I was just laughing about the growl <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe that would be shorthand. We could actually just growl. <laughs> maybe it will be. Maybe it would be. Yeah, I mean, animals are definitely more, much more direct in their communication than humans tend to be. Yeah, yeah, and it's fascinating with Pedro because, like you say, to to actually lunge and attack. You know, he, he in, he's in pain and in difficulty. That that wouldn't be a great idea to like pick a fight. And so it's very interesting that that's just like a warning kind of back off. Yeah. Um yeah, it's fascinating actually. Maybe we have more to learn than we think from from animals. But there's another little story that when we were sort of taught when you were talking about your client in the customer service role. I can remember quite a few years ago doing a customer complaints workshop and it was it was people in the hospitality sector and we had a great session talking about state of mind. So the state of mind of the person who makes the complaint and then the state of mind of, of the person receiving that complaint. And people found it really, really helpful because they could see very quickly that, you know, some but sometimes they all knew that sometimes people complain and there's a there's something that needs attention. There's something wrong that the establishment needs to deal with. But other times people seem to complain for no apparent reason, you know, just like they want to complain. This was what was frustrating people. How do we deal with those ones? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) So when we started exploring state of mind, the fact that somebody that morning might have got their divorce papers, might have got that bad diagnosis, might be in the middle of all kinds of everything. Uh, It was really helpful to the participants to sort of see that if the if the complainer is in a low state of mind and then your state of mind drops and you join them where you're like why are they being such a pain you know what's wrong with them um and then you get defensive and they get more you know you can just see how it spirals into a really bad situation and one of the delegates this wonderful story she said yeah she said one time this woman complained about the soup and when I went over, she was crying and I knew it wasn't the soup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's an extreme example. But in an extreme example, we can immediately see there's something else going on here. Right. right. Not the soup. Um, and it stayed with me because because 
as soon as you see there's something else, she was able to be compassionate. She went and got the woman a cup of tea and offered her to come and have a chat. And of course, there was something much bigger going on than than the soup being off or wrong. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's so interesting because it's like we're we're kind of saying two things here, Juliet. One is that it can be really helpful and useful to those around you to tell them when you're going through a hard time, even if you don't tell the details. It's not like you have to tell the details, but it can be really helpful to to connect with people on that level of vulnerability so that they have more understanding for you. At the same time, that's not always possible or doesn't always happen or the person's not self-aware enough to be able to share it. And so those of us on the receiving end of someone like that, um, how do we shift from, um, because, you know, we, we, we humans, we, we are meaning making machines. We want to make how they're acting mean something. And because of our brain's negativity bias, we often go to quite the suffering story oh my gosh they're horrible people or what's wrong with them or they're jerks or they're not very stupid or I mean smart or whatever and you know so we can catch up begin to catch ourselves and 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 you know not spin a story at all or if we're going to spin a story we could we could experiment with spinning a, a positive story oh my gosh I wonder what bad news they got today and I'm so sorry I wonder how I can approach them a little more gently a little more compassionately um, because there there could be a way in which well if you don't tell me then that's your problem if you don't tell me what's going on then I don't have to treat you uh, any differently. And and it's not always the case. Someone may be in shock about some news they've gotten, or they may be feeling so incredible, incredibly vulnerable that they feel like they would fall apart if they said something, um, or they need more time. So, um, you know, it's sort of a both and thing, the responsibility of us to share where and when we can vulnerably, uh, where it's safe to do that. And at the same time, um, extending a whole lot of compassion um, and, and creativity uh, in a positive way with our stories about what's going on with them can, can both of those things I think can be very helpful. Yeah. And, and it points for me to doing that with ourselves. Absolutely. Juliet. You know, when we are being mean to ourselves and feeling overwhelmed or hurried or stressed, mm-hmm. you know, isn't that a great place to start, you know, with ourselves just acknowledging I'm up against it today Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what it looks like it it is but recognizing that internally you know you're you're kind of uh strung out and in a strung out state of mind everything is harder and that's so you know that's okay we all we all get into those states of mind but giving yourself that bit of grace mm-hmm. you know what would you be saying if it was somebody else walking up to you right now saying they felt like you you know would you be there saying come on pull yourself together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or would you be saying do you want a cup of tea if you're in Britain yeah. or um <laughs> or would you be saying you know should we take a take a walk or do you want to just listen to some music for 10 minutes or yeah yeah and isn't it funny that sometimes we're the last person we extend that grace to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that when we don't extend that grace to ourselves, it, it, that we just become more reactive and more judgmental. You know, if I'm being terribly judgmental of me, I'm going to project that out onto others. I just am. That's just how that's just how it works. And um, and I think to to sort of catch ourselves and 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 find that compassion ourselves is so important and 
the truth is that, that we're always going to have interruptions, interruptions of circumstances around us, um, interruptions of our own emotions, mm-hmm. <laughs> our emotions coming in out of the blue. They seem to come in. You know, I think I told you, Juliet, about the day a couple months ago where I was had a great day, just just feeling so good after kind of having a hard winter and feeling so, so good. And then it was the end of the day. I was done and I popped open a beer and went and sat out on the back deck. And all of a sudden this grief just overwhelmed me. This sadness just welled up out of nowhere. And it was so kind of shocking, you know, this interruption. And then what I did was I just, I just let it move through me. And for about 15 minutes, I sat there, I cried, but I didn't analyze it or judge it. And And 15 minutes later, honestly, it was just gone. I don't know where it came from. I don't know what it was doing there. (laughs) And I just didn't, I didn't mess with it too much. You know, and a lot of times when we're interrupted, we go into freak out mode or control mode or analysis mode or reaction mode, um, rather than sort of just surfing the wave of that interruption, going with the flow of that interruption and writing it out yeah I love I love that and and perhaps a a wider point about interruption we sort of touched on at the beginning is that you know when we try to tightly control our day our schedule our working day or it might be around the family we're kind of setting ourselves up for a fall and most people sort of know that but they may feel caught in the pressure to I have a big workload I have to do all these things, but it's really interesting to begin to see how much energy is taken up by, you know, it's, it's like the, the sort of someone standing there, you know, trying to um, keep you cracking on all the time, that pressure, the internally generated pressure, which comes from what we think about our to-do list, what we think about our day, rather more than what we're actually doing. Because it's very interesting to see, despite this myth about multitasking, I've never believed in that. You cannot physically do two things at the same time. You might be thinking about 40 things and doing one, but you are doing one thing. Even even if one hand's drinking a cup of coffee and the other hand is, is typing, there is there is a sense in which it's not what we're doing but but what we make of what we're doing, you know, I'm doing well, I'm doing it too, you know, I'm not doing it fast enough, you know, what will happen if I don't finish this before such and such a time? What if I get this wrong? You begin to realise that all that is extra layer on the activity. Mm-hmm. And most of our listeners will have had moments when they're doing a task, it might be something they love or it might be something very mundane where they stop thinking about it commenting on it judging it mm-hmm. what ifs and stop thinking about the past and why they've got to do this task and when will it be over and they're just doing it mm-hmm. and there's a beautiful spaciousness in that and I think the the being very um reactive to interruption it, is it actually the interruption of our tasks or as you said right at the beginning, is it what we make of that interruption? Now I'm not going to get my work done. Why is this person bothering me? Oh, my goodness, I have to go fix something on the car now. That's going to take so much time. We, we're we sort of running these like scenarios, which is sort of, it's a little bit like um, 
you know, it's a little bit like a soap opera script, isn't it? That we yeah. have to have these kind of. <gasps> yes, such a dramatic brain. Yeah. And we touched on it last episode that that can become just very habitual so that it feels normal. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice when you begin to realize, well, it's not um, inevitable that in your work day, you have to be in that headspace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's infinite possibilities for, for what might be going through your mind, what state of mind you might be in. But I think, and I know I did this for a long time, you know, I for me, working hard had a particular feeling. It was adrenalized. It was working through things very quickly. It was having lots of good ideas. And so if I if I felt like that, even though it took a toll on me, it was, you know, it was mentally and physically exhausting, I thought it was good. And then if I couldn't kind of conjure that, I thought there was something wrong. Mm-hmm. So you can see how that feels very uh, tightly coiled. And so anything coming into that system is going to kind of cause a disruption, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That divided attention now. Um, you know, your hunch that that uh, multitasking doesn't work is absolutely backed by brain research it, that we we aren't, you know, I, and I, I tell myself that I'm an excellent multitasker and I am, but my attention is divided, which means something somewhere suffers. And there's a great book. I, I can't remember actually which book it is, either The Shallows, which is talking about how the Internet um divides our attention so much that we 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 don't we no longer take the time or no longer even have the attention span to go deep into things and ideas um, or else it's your brain at work by David Rock one of those two books talks about about how this just doesn't work and so I'm wondering when when you talk about that if like if there's an interruption when there's an interruption um, if we could give ourselves entirely to it until it's taken care of rather than because what I heard you saying was, you know, we start this narrative and we amp ourselves up by going, Oh my God, Oh my God, I'm not going to, it happened yesterday. I had to have an emergency vet thing for Pedro and I had a new brand new client coming in. You don't like to start that way. And I, but I knew that if I didn't reach out and say, I don't know, I may have to cancel at the last minute because they don't know if they can get me out in time. I knew if I didn't reach out and communicate that to him, that I was going to be stressed, so stressed about it the entire time that it was going to add all this exponential thinking to my brain. And so I just was like, you know what, whatever happens, I just reached out. I said, this is what's going on. Um, I think I'm going to be able to make it, but there's a chance I want, I won't. And, and being really clear. And, and of course, he took it like a champ. He was like, of course, of course, take care of your dog, you know, and it didn't interfere in our coaching relationship. And I made it back in time. But, but had I not done that and been so clear, I would have just gotten so amped up watching the clock constantly worry, 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 oh, my God, I'm not going to make it. And, um, so there's something about giving ourselves fully to the interruption until we're through the interruption rather than trying to hold on to these other things going on in our day. So I like that you brought up that. Um, I like that you brought that up, Juliet. I just looked at the clock and we are out of time. Would you like to bring it home for us, Juliet? 
Yeah, I think this episode complements the boundaries episode as well, because I think while you're um, finding a, a quieter mind generally, some of these issues begin to take care of themselves. But in the meantime, you know, having boundaries around when you can and can't be interrupted it's very simple, maybe obvious, but that can just be really helpful. And looking at where we interrupt ourselves, you mentioned social media. Yes. So it's just a really nice space to just kind of get quiet and reflect a bit and, and see what's going to make life, you know, simpler and easier for you around interruptions. Yeah. Thank you, Julia. And I think that our next topic could easily be about control. <laughs> you know, how, how we try to control so much, how we try to control the interruptions and things like that and um and how how toxic control really is but we'll do that thank you julia so much and thank you listeners we do appreciate uh your time and attention yeah thank you and see you next time bye-bye You've been listening to the Riffing on Realness podcast with Carla Royal and Juliet Fay. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend. We would truly appreciate it if you'd rate and review this podcast, which will help others find us. You can visit me, Carla, at CarlaRoyal.com. I am a mindset and performance coach working with high-achieving, high-performance entrepreneurs and business owners who are quietly dealing with too much mental chatter and anxiety. Juliet loves freedom of of mind, which she explores and shares through poetry and conversations. Find her at soulcare.org. That's soulcare, S-O-L-C-A-R-E.org. We'll see you next time on Riffing on Realness. Mm-hmm.